And you know what happens when you scoot something offset, there's going to be some of you out there that are rain man and not be able to handle this thing not being in the center. Uh, and for those of you, I apologize because I'm not one of you. Eh, those things don't bother me a lick. I've entitled this morning's message, Better to be Obedient Than a Fool. And part of me just kind of wishes this message was being done when everybody's in here, but there's a reason God does the things he does. And, you know, it's amazing. I will say this. It's amazing how many people have told me, like, when they miss a Sunday on vacation, that even if they're not able to watch live, they go back and they pick it back up later. And I I have really been encouraged by that because I'm going to tell you, I struggle with the online thing. And I'm going to share a little bit later why I struggle with that area. And so I apologize if I don't seem as energetic today. It's, uh, it's not because I don't love being in God's house. It's just uh, it's been a rough day, um, rough weekend kind of thing. And um, my body just, my, my, I have the desire. <laughs> it's just that my body says, slow down, fat boy, right? If you want to go this hard, you're going to have to get in better shape. I think that's what it's saying to me. I even had to wear my cushiony shoes today because my feet hurt. Right? And I'm like, oh, man. You know what's going to happen is next thing you know, I'll be in Velcro shoes. That's what's coming next, right? Um, so Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer together, okay? Ecclesiastes 5, starting at verse 1, it says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream, come with, for a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for it has, he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth lead you let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Let us pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we know that each and every day. Lord, regardless of how tough the day may be, Regardless of how difficult the season may be, God, we know that every day is a blessing. Because, Lord, we, we, we surely know today that even with the rough times and the rough patches we go through in life, Lord, there are folks that we'd rather have with us. But, Lord, you saw fit to take them home. And so that reminds us of how precious every day is. And Lord, this day is, Lord, this day is no different. It's a blessing. And so, Father, we pray today, Lord, that you give us the strength and the wisdom to be able to speak from your word. And Lord, that it will be from the heart. But more importantly, that it'll be from your heart. Lord, we ask that you guide us. And Lord, I ask, Lord, that, uh, that your spirit will be here upon the hearts of those who are here and those who may be listening, uh, Lord, through online or whatever else. Father, I pray that your spirit will lead us into a place that we may not only take in your word, but that we may do it and that we may love your word. And Father, we pray these things today 
in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all could be seated. Ecclesiastes is a, a unique book. If you start from chapter 1, which obviously you should. Matter, matter of fact, when I was kind of studying this, I was like, I really just need to do a whole series on the book of Ecclesiastes. And we may do that more on a, like a Wednesday night kind of thing. Uh, because there's much to be discussed about this book. But I did want to read a little bit of the background to you. Have you ever heard of a guy named Chuck Swindoll? Chuck Swindoll is a very famous preacher, right? You hear him on the radio all the time. Wonderful man. Matter of fact, when you hear him, his voice to me is so soothing. Now, sometimes I got that voice that, you know, you know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, I got that kind of voice. It's funny. I, I, I talk to people sometimes and they hear my voice and they know my voice and don't know my face. Because I've done things like recording for, um, you know, recording for training that I've done like at a company I used to work for. And they're still using that and they still hear my voice and it's kind of funny. Right. Uh, and then I've done some things and, and done some recording at the place I work now. And then and somebody will have watched a video or something like that. And then they actually meet me and then they're like, hey, you're that guy. And I'm like, yeah, face matches the voice, don't it? Sal thinks so. How are you doing? I don't know why I'm even saying this. It's not even in the notes. But Chuck Swindoll, his voice is so soothing. And when I finally saw what he looked like, you're like, I never imagined him looking like that. But Chuck Swindoll's ministry is called Insight for Living. That's his radio ministry. He also pastors a church. What's unique about Chuck Swindoll when you see him or you see a picture of him, and I encourage you to go look at a picture, uh, pull him up on Google, Chuck Swindoll. Uh, and by the way, I will tell you, like, so a lot of folks will ask me sometimes, like, so when I'm on the, you know, like, if I'm looking something up on the Internet, I mean, we all know that there's a lot of junk on the Internet. Would you agree? And there's a lot of things that are tagged to have Christian type of, um, sounds to the phrases and things like that. But then when you actually open them up, you realize that they are anti, right? They don't believe in God and they want to, you know, uh, downgrade his word and say things that are just awful um, and uh, blasphemous, if you will. And so it's tough sometimes in our culture today to know what is safe to read and what isn't. Well, let me just share with you today, insight.org is a beautiful website. If you if you're reading a passage and you want to have it maybe better explained because you're not sure of what you're reading and you want to know more about it, Chuck Swindoll is one of the, one of the best Bible teachers you can find. Uh, and he, you know, as far as theology is concerned uh, and his, um, you know, his stance um, on uh, things that, you know, of the scriptures, uh, very much align uh, with ours, right? Our doctrine. Is I guess the word I'm looking for, right? Chuck Swindoll's doctrine and ours is, is very much in, in line. And so you, you really can't go wrong uh, using that website. So I'd just like to throw that out there because it's a wonderful resource. Um, and so sometimes when I'm looking for the, the background, you know, there are other resources that I use and books that I've read, but then sometimes I want it just phrased in a way that, you know, is just easy to, to take in. And so today I want to share with you the background of the book of Ecclesiastes and kind of the overview of the book, right? And I thought it best just to use Chuck Swindoll's words since he's a much better speaker than myself. 
And it says this, Ecclesiastes presents us a naturalistic vision of life. One that sees life through the distinctly human eyes, but ultimately recognizes the rule and reign of God in the world. This, is more, the, this more humanistic quality has made the book especially popular among younger audiences today, men and women who have seen more than their fair share of pain and instability in life, but who still dig in to their hope in God. In the writer's desperate search for meaning and significance in life, God remained present. For instance, we read that God provides food, drink, and work. Both the sinner and the righteous person live in God's sight. God's deeds are eternal, and God empowers people to enjoy His provisions. Ultimately, the great truth of Ecclesiastes lies in the acknowledgement of God's ever-present hand on our lives. Even when injustice and uncertainty threaten to overwhelm us, we can trust Him and follow after Him. That is probably one of the most concise paragraphs. I mean, he, he took what you could say about Ecclesiastes, and he just brought it all home in one easy-to-read paragraph. And so um, I, I just thought, you know what, I can't do no better than that. And so I, I just thought that we would use that today. And I, I want you to understand that because as we're kind of digging in just to uh, six verses of this beautiful book, Ecclesiastes, I got to tell you, if you just start at chapter one and don't read the rest of the book, you will be confused. It all starts off, you know, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity and vexation. They're like, what? What does that even mean? But sometimes when you think about life and what, what Solomon is doing here is he's looking at life you know, through his human eyes and just seeing all that takes place and it's kind of overwhelming, especially when you realize is that all that you do in this world will eventually be handed to someone else. All the things we work for goes to someone else. Someone else gets to enjoy them if what you have is enjoyable. For those of you who own Chevrolets, not so much. <laughs> Handing that down to your family is a curse. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Here, I've pushed this thing long enough. I'm going home to be with the Lord. You can push it a while. I'm just saying. And so can you imagine that? Imagine looking through Solomon's eyes at a Chevrolet and be like, vanity of vanities. All oh, is vanity and vexation. Why do I got to push this thing that should go under its own power, but it has none? Don't know where that came from, but it worked. You know, sometimes I make these outlines and I'm like, what was I thinking? And then sometimes I'm like, I should have just stuck to the outline. But when you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, that's really the kind of theme, though, isn't it? That all that you toil for, you toil just for somebody else to enjoy is one of the things that he says. But, you know, there's a unique, a unique thing that he says in chapter 4. Where he says that God has put eternity into man's heart. Now, what you think about that, I shared that at a funeral on Friday, and I don't think I've ever shared anything from Ecclesiastes like that. I mean, we go to the portions of Ecclesiastes, you know, where there's a time to mourn, there's a time to dance, and all that kind of stuff, right? But God has put eternity 
into man's heart. You know what that means? We are made in God's image and God is eternal, but guess what? Now listen, don't take this the wrong way because sometimes if you take this with that health and wealth flavor that we hear out of some folks that we hear in our culture today, they'll take this wrongly, right? You and I are not God. We are made in His image. We are not little gods. We don't create. God creates. Even a mother and father having a child, that's a blessing from God. It may be created of your flesh, but trust me, if you've ever been with someone who couldn't have a child, you'll, you'll soon get that. We are not little gods, so I don't want to come across to that part, but we cannot ignore the fact that you and I are eternal beings. Because he says, Solomon says that God has put eternity in man's heart, and we know this, that you and I will exist somewhere for eternity whether it be in the God's presence or whether it be cast away out of his presence, never again of hope of ever escaping the darkness and the torment of being out of God's presence. God has made us eternal. You and I will exist somewhere. And this book of Ecclesiastes is capturing what it's like to live on this earth. But then when he says that, you know, that God has put eternity in a man's heart, it, the, the book kind of takes a turn there and realizes that, you know, the book also talks about, you know, seeing those who do wrong and seem like they're getting away with it. And those who do right end up in calamity. And, and how does all that happen and why does it happen? But listen, God does see it all. But the beauty of living for God is not just having his presence in this world, but knowing that, listen, after this life is done, the Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. Meaning that these things, sin, has distorted this world. Sin has captivated the hearts of this world. And it's because of sin that we see destruction. That's not what we were built for. We weren't built for sin. We weren't built to handle guilt. That's why guilt eats us up inside, because we weren't made to handle that. Why? Because we were not made to sin. But we do. And all that happens in this world is a result of sin. All the calamity, all the, all the things that are happening happen because of sin. Yes, God could reach down and jerk us by the neck and make us all to do right. But listen, he has made us to praise him. And he's given us the choice. Because true praise and true love comes through the choice that God has given us. Imagine that. Have you ever seen your child when you gave them a choice and they took the wrong one and you knew it? But you gave them that choice and you loved them through it because they were going to have to learn? Imagine how God feels, having given us a choice and given us the, the, uh, the, the choice to choose to be in his presence through the covering of his son Jesus. And yet still so many choose to be in outer darkness instead. They choose darkness instead of light. Can you imagine how much that must hurt our Lord? To know that he has given us his son, 
so that we could be in a right relationship with him and we choose not to and so this book of ecclesiastes is rich and full and it, it does take solomon's look of humanity and also god through a, a very human set of eyes and i encourage you to, to to look at the whole book and when in whenever we decide to maybe do a a series on this book, we'll definitely make sure we announce that ahead of time and so you can be involved in that. So let's look at this five, six verses today. And I would say I won't hold you long, but I don't want to lie either. So I don't even know how this is going to go. So let's, let's, go, to, let's go to verse 1. Verse 1 says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And, and, and so, you know, what, what does that mean? Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. First off, this is talking about understanding the gravity of what it means to be in God's house. Now, let me preface this. You've got to understand that Solomon, remember Solomon built the temple. Remember, they, they had, uh, when they were in the wilderness, they, they built this tabernacle that uh, was mobile when they were carried around. It uh, had the ark of God in it. You remember this, there's stories about the ark and what God told him not to touch it um, and those kind of things, right? And so now Solomon was the one who built the temple. Remember, David was not allowed to build the temple because God told him, you've been a man of war. But guess what David did? David didn't get upset that he wasn't allowed to build the temple. Instead, there was a dad who made sure he secured all the material so that his son would be able to build the temple right, without having to go secure those things. David knew that he couldn't build the temple. And God had chosen his son Solomon to be the one to do that. But David didn't get upset and David didn't say, well, you know, if you're going to let him build the temple, I ain't going to have nothing to do with it. No. David helped secure the materials needed so that his son could carry on the work of God. Let me ask you this, are you securing the things your child needs and teaching them in a way that they may carry on the ministry of God in your family? And so when Solomon talks about guard your steps before you go into the house of God, imagine what this temple must have looked like. All the gold ornate things, but there was this veil when they would walk into the temple, there was, this, there was this veil that covered the holy place. The holy of holies. And then there was the ark of God. It was there that the high priest would go only once a year. And the priest would have to consecrate himself in, in a very specific way as God had outlined before they would go there because they could only go in uh, being pure. There is... It's not in the scriptures, but there is uh, this tr a story of tradition that's been handed down for years and years uh, that says that they would tie a rope around the high priest's ankle and there would be bells tied to the rope. And when the high priest would go in, if something happened and the high priest went in and had not uh, purified himself according to the scripture as God outlined in the right way, and he went in there with sin in his heart, listen, you couldn't be in God's presence. They would fall dead. And so they tied that rope. 
And with bells, and if they heard the bell stop, they know that something had happened and they could pull the priest out because they wasn't going in there. Because the presence of God was so revered and reverence that they would not dare go into his house. And so think about the gravity of what it means to come into God's presence today. You know, there are a lot of churches that can really make a draw of people and they can make you feel like you're in the the presence of the Spirit because things are moving. And if I get enough subwoofers around here and I can get Bobby to play right, uh, I can move you too. But we create this atmosphere, though a lot of people that create this atmosphere. And this atmosphere feels like there must be something going on because I feel something. Problem is, is you can feel that same something on Saturday night if you go to the right place and the music's just right. Right? Look, even Chris moves that titanium hip when that starts. He can't help himself. And now we don't go in circles no more. We could be moved. That's not what I want for our church. Oh, I like good music and I like good singing and I love good harmony. I love all that. And I think we should do that. We should practice. We should be the best that we could be. But understand that that's not the spirit. Being caught up in a song, you can do that. Now listen, I'm not saying if you're caught up in a song that you're not in the spirit. But I'm saying under the right atmosphere, it could seem like you are. And I don't want that for our church. And I don't want that for you. I love, listen, I love when we get to singing. And man, it's just, you could just feel God's presence. Some of y'all shout sometimes. Oh, man, I love that. Ain't nothing work better than a, woo! Man, I love it. And that should be. But I want to tell you, that's not everywhere. Not everywhere is the gravity of God in the hearts and the minds of the people that are entering the building. There are places where they go for entertainment. And they go to feel like they've checked off a box. You see, I'd rather be here with 40 who understand the gravity of being in God's presence than being with 240 that are there because the music is cool and their services are short and the pastor's sermons are quippy. Got a flair to them and make me feel better about myself. I want you to feel better about God. And sometimes the only way to do that is to reveal just how broken we are. And then we see how beautiful his love is. The gravity of being God's presence, revering his house. 
and considering the honor that we have to be here in his presence. Solomon would have walked in a temple. Solomon never got to go in to the Holy of Holies to be in the presence of God where God would come down. There between the cherubs and the mercy seat, which is on top of the ark. You see, only the high priest could go into that. And we know that God's presence did not settle on all people. How do we know that? Remember the story of Moses? I used this. I used this back on Pentecost Sunday when we talked about the Spirit coming and then being able to rest upon all believers. Until that happened, they had never experienced that before. But Moses, Moses was, was, was sitting and judging people all day. And his father-in-law said, you know, you need, to, you need help with this. And, and so they created judges. And they picked out among them those who were upright and those who loved the law of God. And the Bible says that God took part of that spirit that was in Moses and he put it upon them. And there was two that wasn't even in that area that they were at and they were in another part and those two started to instantly prophesy. Because they had also been indwelled with the Holy Spirit. But you realize with Solomon, it, it wasn't so. The Holy Spirit hadn't come and indwelled all believers. The Spirit came down on those that God had chosen to be leaders among them. And still yet, Solomon saw the gravity of coming into the place where his presence would be, even if he was not able to be in that holy place where only the high priest could be. The fact that he was there knowing that God would be there, even though the Holy Spirit hadn't rested upon him in the same way. Now, God had empowered him to build the temple and done special things, but still yet, not being able to be in his presence like we are. And so even Solomon says, guard your steps. Understand the gravity of what it means to be able to be where God is. Revere his house and consider the honor. This understanding of what it means to become before, before him in his house ought to start with preparation to come into it. Realize that when they went to the temple, they would wash themselves before they would even go in. This symbolic washing of purifying before they ever went into God's house, even though God's presence was going to be in the Holy of Holies, they were in the house where God would be, and therefore they would wash themselves. And they, and they found part of this in Solomon's temple, these, these basins that would be used, that they would have the water in so people could, could purify themselves. And it was, it was symbolic, but yet they would physically do it to their hands and wash to come in to be ready to be in God's presence. Are you ready to be in God's presence when you get here you cannot argue all the way up to the road and to where you turn into the church and look at each other with contempt and then want to walk in oh how I love Jesus oh how I love Jesus oh and then when the preachers preach and be pointing at your spouse when the preacher gets on that part about loving each other like Christ of the church yeah you, you hear that Boy, I'm glad he preached that. You needed that. (laughs) 
if we come in church only to look at others and think about who needed to hear it, then we're not ready to be in God's presence. We're not ready. I will tell you, now listen, I got to preface this. For those of you online, we have some folks that are sick and unable to be in God's house. We have some folks that travel on vacation and can't be here. And I'm, listen, I think families ought to take vacation, amen. I don't care if Chris don't like Florida. Next time, choose a different destination. I will have to tell you my Florida story, though. Not the same one I told last night. I got to tell you, does anybody like steamed broccoli? Well, I got to tell you something. I experienced what broccoli goes through. You see, we were in Florida once. If you go to a place and don't like it, you know what you do? You don't go back. We went to Florida once. No, I've actually been back to Florida, but it was for work, and that's the only reason I went. I'm the only one that can go to Florida and get back home in less than 24 hours. I flew down, got my award, and flew home. Less than 24 hours in that God-forsaken place. But we were down there. Sal and I were on our honeymoon. Life was good. It's good. We were at Disney World. Because when you get married, you go see Mickey. And Minnie. <laughs> and Goofy. Somewhere I had a Goofy hat with them ears that hung down. I don't know what happened to that. So we were there walking through Disney World. And it was hot. I mean, hot. Like it should be illegal to have to be outside in that kind of weather. So we were walking along and I'm like, oh gosh. Water, I mean, they're selling water. They're making like, how much is that bottle of water? $35. I'll take two. And got my Mickey money out. By the way, they, you can exchange your currency there for Mickey money. It looks just bigger than Monopoly money, and you spend it like you think it's something else. By the way, it's money! There I am, paying $70 to Mickey for two bottles of water. I'm exaggerating, but only a scotch. And man, it was hot. And then I saw these storm clouds rolling off. Oh, Lord, send us a storm. Lord, send us a storm. I want a storm, Lord. Please send a storm. Rain has got to feel better than what I'm feeling right now. So this storm come rolling in. As you know, in Florida, it can roll up on you in like 10 seconds flat. You can see it coming and still ain't got time to get cover. You know what I'm saying? That's exactly what happened. Down come rain. I'm telling you, you talk about raining cats and dogs. I heard a meow and a bark in this mug. I'm talking like real literal cats and dogs. I mean, it's, it's raining drops. I didn't know water drops could get that big. 
And it's raining. I thought, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We'll get some relief. As quickly as that storm rolled in, it rolled out. And I was under this underpass thing, and I stepped out. And next thing you know, I started to wilt, just like broccoli. And steam was rising up from, listen, I'm not even exaggerating this part, steam rising up off the asphalt. I was looking to see if God had a big glass cover he was going to put on top for that five minutes you need to steam broccoli. You know what I'm saying? Lord's going to put a top on it. I know it's coming. I should at least lose 40 pounds in this deal. It was terrible. And God made that place. Who did he make that for? Who would live there? Why do old people go there? There's old people. You remember the, that guy from, from uh, uh, the Carol Burnett show? When Tim Conway played that old man, there was people. Oh, I love Florida. Florida's good. What in the world? But I realize now old people set their thermostat on 80. They're preparing themselves for Florida. And when they finally get to where they enjoy 85 to 88 with humidity, they say, okay, it's time to go. And they find their plaid socks that come up to their knees. I've never seen so many of those, uh, what are those socks, that compression socks? And they'll wear them up to their knees and have plaid socks up halfway up their calves and wearing Velcro shoes and shorts and a big old hat. I said, Sal, if I ever dress like that, check me in somewhere. I don't even know why I told that story. I was going somewhere with this and forgot all about it. Oh, I know why. Online. Thank you. I got more than one voice in my head. Y'all got that? Am I the only one that's got that? That other voice in your head? Huff, get on, get on task here. So, oh, because I said some people go on vacation. Now I know where I was at. So the people online, I know that some people are too sick to come. Some people are on vacation. They can't come. And so when I say what I'm getting ready to say about online, I'm not targeting you. But if it hits you, I'm okay with it. Everybody know where I'm at with this? I have real strong concerns about online broadcasting. You got to realize I'm a tech guy. When I mean a tech guy, I'm not just talking about AC tech. I do that too. But I, I like computers and I, I like gadgetry. And I like figuring out how to make all this stuff work. Listen, I am very technical even to the point that we have special wire ties that we're using this morning to do our broadcast because the box broke. Well, we got wire ties, right, Brother Randy? The first one may have been a bad wire tie. That, wasn't, that was a different one. But we do what we got to do. So I, I want you to know I enjoy it. So I have known how to broadcast online a lot sooner than we ever did it. COVID pushed us into that realm. 
course, now all the people that the professional consultants about churches like Tom Rayner and those guys, they make a very valid point where now because of being with COVID and all that has happened and with so many churches being online, the simple fact is, is that a lot of people will check you out online. As a matter of fact, Troy and I had a conversation about this this morning. You know, new visitors is much different now, but people will check you out online before they'll come in the building now because they can do that. They don't have to step in the building to see what your church is like. They can just check you out online. I want to tell you like this, if you're checking us out online, uh, you're not getting the full beauty of being here. But here's the, here's the problem I have. When Solomon talked about guard your steps before you go into the house of God, he was talking about the reverence. He was talking about making sure that you are ready to go into God's presence. That would have not only been them physically, but also making sure everything was ready to go into God's presence because they revered him. And revere is a good word. They reverence God. And so listen, when you're sick and not able to come, I think that online is a beautiful thing. When you're not able to be here or you're on vacation and going online is absolutely wonderful. But let me challenge you to this. If you do it just because it's convenient, then you're not doing it right. Amen? Because let me ask you this. If it's out of laziness, are you preparing the place that you're at to be ready to meet God's presence? Have we conditioned our heart and made ready? We laugh and talk about being in our pajamas and stuff like that, but listen, it ain't funny. That's where I've come to this. I was reading this scripture and I really talked about what it means to come into God's presence. If you cannot be here, then listen, that I think online is an absolutely wonderful thing. But if we do it out of sheer laziness because we didn't get up in time to not only prepare ourselves physically, but to prepare our hearts, then how much more are you prepared to sit in your living room and take in and be in God's presence? You get the idea. And so why I love the fact that we can reach out to folks. I'm telling you, digital presence is not the same as being in God's house. But if you're going to be here digitally, then where you're at ought to be viewed as God's sanctuary and been made ready for such. I don't believe you should take in God's presence, you know, with a bowl of Orville Redenbacher. This ain't TV and it ain't a movie. This is a service where we've come together through the promise of God that if we would gather in his name, he would be here. But not only this, there was a one last point that I didn't make because I wanted to go there first. But lastly, this should be taught to our children. How to reverence God and be in his presence needs to be taught to our children. So many churches now, you come in and a family splits up. And the children go where it's fun. And they want to be there because they get to dance around and do fun things and, and be fun and be entertained. Listen, I have no interest in entertaining you. I have no interest in entertaining your children. 
Why? Because I want to be in God's presence. I want to revere Him, and you need to teach your children to do the same. Now listen, when they're little, coloring books, listen, I don't got a problem with that. Sometimes they're little, they got an attention span about as long as mine, which ain't long. Anybody else ever watch a movie and know whether you're going to like it in five minutes or not? Right? And listen, you ain't got me in five minutes, you ain't got me. Thank God Sal had me at hello. Okay, she didn't get that. She caught my attention. She was standing at a vending machine at Faraday International in Chantilly, Virginia. She had this matching shorts and top that matched in color. I saw her. I hadn't even seen her face yet, and I thought, Lord, I hope it's the whole package. And waited for her to turn around. And then she smiled. She had me at hello. My attention span is short, and so are kids. I get that. They bring their cars or coloring books. I don't have any problem with that. But you see, as they grow, their attention span gets better and better. And we teach them how to grow up in Christ. I have no interest in separating you from your kids when you get to church. Now, that doesn't build great big churches because I talked to somebody this week and they're like, yeah, I know COVID's kind of like put a lot of programs down, but uh, I like to be able to come in and enjoy the service. So do you have a place where kids can go? Nope. They said, what? I mean, you're going to go back? No. Now, I will tell you this. We are going to resume Sunday school after the summer's over. We're going to go back having Sunday school, you know, before service. I do like Sunday school, and I think that it has some, um, you know, I, I have very specific thoughts about Sunday school and how we do it uh, and how it's going to be done. And we'll talk about that when we get closer to September, when we start that up again. But I said, no, I, I, I have no interest in entertaining your children. And I'm not going to hire some spiky-headed, you know, uh, cool <laughs> youth pastor. Right? Why? I've known some good youth pastors. I'm not going to say they're not. But you know who needs to be the person that teaches your children about God? You. You know who needs to be your kid's friend? You. You need to be a parent first. But you need to cultivate a relationship that if your child has a problem, they know that they can, they can come to their mom and dad. You see, how else will they know to go to the Heavenly Father? If their earthly father doesn't have a relationship with them. If they're not learning from their earthly father, why are they going to want a heavenly one? It's our job to do that. I'm not going to say that I've done it well. I might say I've had to apologize to my children. But here's the deal. Just because I did it differently and now realize doesn't mean I should let it just continue. This is important that we reverence God's house that we teach our children as Deuteronomy chapter 6 commands us to do. To love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul and teach these to your children when they get up in the morning, when they walk along the way, when they go in and when they go out, when they go to bed. It's our job as parents to teach our children. And listen, if there's ever a time where we need to come back to the fundamentals of being in God's presence, and having families together, it's now. 
can we not see the world's effect and what it has done to the family? Someone asked this question and said, well, you know, why do you think that, why do you think the devil fights so hard in things like homosexuality and things like that? Why do you think God, why do you think the devil fights that so hard? I said, because it's a direct attack on how God designed to multiply believers on this earth. The original design, God didn't make a church first, did he? He made a family. He said to be fruitful and multiply. That wouldn't mean just have babies. It meant to multiply those who understand what it means to be in the presence of Almighty God. And that's what we need to do. That's the important thing. As I told someone yesterday, we were talking about you know, building churches and stuff like that, and I said, listen, if the presence of God is not good enough reason to come to his house, that I can't think of anything else that's worthy of, the, of God's presence. I mean, if coming into God's presence and hearing his word is not good enough reason to go to church, then any other reason is just entertainment factor and a likelihood of you really understanding at that moment. The importance of being in God's presence is slim to none. But let's move forward. He said, then to draw near to listen is better than to offer sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Now think about this, right? Do we draw near to listen? In the Hebrew language, it's a, it's a word, it's spelled S-A-M-A, -A, but it's shamah. I know what you're thinking, oh, here we go with another Hebrew word. Good grief. Well, the, the Old Testament was written in it. Shabbat. What does that mean? It means not only to listen, but it encompasses the aspect of not only listening, but practicing. It means to do it. It's not only hearing, but it's about taking in and doing what you've learned. It's about comprehension. Listening and understanding what's being said. And the reason I went to go listen and the reason I want to do is because I know that what's being delivered is God's, God's wisdom and His words. Right? I go into His presence because He is God and I am not. He is the creator of the world, and if I'm ever to find a purpose, it's going to be in Him. So if I'm going to come into His presence and revere His presence as being Almighty God, then listen, then whatever He delivers and whatever He says ought to be something we not only listen to, but I'm there to learn so that I can do. Why would you ever go to a class to learn something that you're never going to use? That's why I didn't like school. Sitting biology class, what am I going to use this for? Right? Sitting in health class, I'm never going to be healthy, what am I here for? Go sit in English class, oh Lord, I'm definitely not going to use this. What am I here for? Thank God that our parents, as when we were growing up, knew better than we were. So kids, same thing applies to you. We know better than you do 
I know we're sending you to school and I know you don't think you're ever going to use it. But listen, do I use English now? Yes, I do. Do I use math now? Yes, I do. Do I use biology now? Yes, I do. Do I use health? Yes, I wish I would used it earlier. Use all those things I've learned. And sometimes you've got to tell your kids that. Any parents ever had a kid say, why do I got to go? I ain't going to use this stuff anyway. I don't need to learn it. Anybody else ever say that? Here's what you tell your kid. You ain't even smart enough now to know where the light switch is at. Don't tell me what you need to know and don't need to know. I'm pushing you to do that because later on you will thank me. I've met people that could barely read. I've, read people, I've met people whose parents just let them skip out on that stuff. And now they regret it. I've had people tell me that. I don't, man, I wish, I wish someone would have just had enough gumption to tell me that, to stay and to learn. Instead of just letting me go whatever I wanted to do. Young people, your parents don't let you go do what you want to do because what you want to do ain't right. They know better than you do. But if there's ever a time that we ought to come and realize that God's word is much wiser than we, and we ought to come to not only to hear, but to do. It's not just listening. It's listening with the intent of action. So listen, to come into God's presence. Now think about this. And I actually just saw, speaking of English, I misspelled a word on my screen, right? Think about this. How rebellious do you think it is to come into God's presence? Hear his word. And then do this. you think that's like to God? I've been out on job sites where I tell a guy, you're doing that wrong. This is the way you need to do it. You old school guys. I remember looking one guy right in the face and said, listen, I might be old school, but physics ain't changed. That's God's school. He created this place. He knows how it works and physics hasn't changed. Right? Did we change the temperature at which water freezes? No. Have we changed the temperature in which water boils? No. Still the same as it always has been. So while I may be old school, physics hasn't changed. Let me tell you something. Living life has not changed. We may have higher technology and things like that, but right is still right and wrong is still wrong. God does not need to get with the program. He is the program. Amen. Amen. Think about what it's like to come into God's presence and then reject. And by the way, parents, don't look at your children when you do that. We all know God tells us how to be good spouses as well, right? To listen to how to be a good spouse and then go home and reject it. Guys, for God to tell us to love our wives like Christ loved the church and then go home and do the opposite. Isn't this what you're saying to God? Women, it applies to you too. I know what you're thinking. Oh, he got you good, honey. He got you good. Applies to you too, women. God's word tells you how to be a woman of God as well. And when you don't do it, well, I know, but you don't know my husband. I ain't going to be in subjection to him. You know what he does? I don't care. 
if you don't do what God's word says, you're doing the same thing. What would you do with your kid if you told your kid to do something? And they went, I could tell you what, I, what would happen to me when I was a kid. When I finally woke up, then I would have went and done what I was supposed to have done before I went to sleep, if you know what I mean. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. Starting in verse 46, says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Think about that as a parent, right? Because I think as parents, it, I, I don't know about you, but I really started to connect with God's word when I started parenting. I mean, like, first off, I'd be like, Lord Jesus, I need help. This child, you gave me something is wrong. It's broke. Y'all know what I'm saying? I don't know about you. Did anybody else think marriage broke your spouse? I loved you. And you was fun. And you sang that song, if you like me, well, you put a, put a ring on it. And I did. And you got broke. You're no more fun. You ain't fun to be around no more. All we do is argue. But think about, wait, why do you call me Lord and not tell you what, do what I tell you to do? Right? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the steam broke against it, the stream broke against it, and that house couldn't, and it could not shake it because it had been well built. Folks, build your marriage on the Word of God. Listen, floods are going to come, storms are going to come. That old country song. Storms never last, do they, baby? Y'all know that song? But listen, guarantee you this, storm is going to come. Storms have hit all our marriages. Ask someone who's been married for a long time. But listen, when your marriage is built upon the foundational principles in God's Word, storm ain't going to last forever. But listen, there are storms happening in families all across this world, and it's just destroying because they had no foundation. Families are being busted apart. You know why? Because the marriage wasn't built on God's foundation and the family was not built on God's foundation. You see, we're, we're looking through this humanistic eye because we're, I'm, I want us to see through real life these principles that, that Solomon is laying out here. It says, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, it immediately fell and the ruin of that house was great. You know what's worse than one family being ruined? Let me tell you, folks, you know what's worse than one family being ruined? Then those people who were ruined in that, in that flood, they'll go find someone else. And they'll think this one's going to be better, but they'll build the house the same exact way. And guess what happens? Then you know what? The floods are going to come and that house is going to fall apart. And now we start multiplying the destruction and devastation. And you know what you get? A world like we're living in today where the family seems to have zero value. Because people go into it thinking if this don't work, I'll go find someone else. 
And when they have problems, you're like, you know what you deserve? You deserve to be loved. If you're not going to be loved at home, then you just need to go find another home. You, you shouldn't have to stay in some place where you don't feel loved. Well, maybe you don't feel loved simply because you're not lovable. You ever thought of that? Well, the people always treat me like trash, maybe because you smell like trash. Maybe because you act like it. The devastation is just, it's just keep going outward. It keeps growing and growing and growing. And now there is a true fight against family values to where they want to destroy what we have always upheld as the union between a man and a woman that God had all the way back in Genesis. Where he said that a man shall leave his parents and cleave to his wife. Matter of fact, you can't even multiply physical bodies unless there's a man and woman involved, amen? Now listen, you may do it in a lab somewhere, but somebody had to give you a sample, and I believe you know what I'm saying. God made us male and female for a reason. I know what you're thinking, man, he ain't got past verse 1. I'll finish the rest of this up in 10 minutes. I'll get you out of here on time to get dinner tonight and see the fireworks. Verse 2, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Oh man, isn't that, that's good, isn't it? I don't really need to say anything. Let your words be few, be not rash with your mouth. Think of what Solomon's saying here. He's seen the destruction of relationships just because people are saying things they shouldn't say, Right? Remember Kevin preached the message about that before you speak, think, right? Is this uplifting? Is it needed? Right? Is it good? Is it encouraging? But think about what he's saying here. He's not just saying to watch your words. It says, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. In other words, listen twice as much and say half as much. Consider that God is in heaven and he rules the complete universe. Consider that he knows everything, so why should I be talking so much? Why do I go in prayer and do all the talking? Why don't I create a space where I go and I spend some time in his presence away from everything, away from the TV, away from the kids, away from work? I need, listen, well, Huff, you know how early I'd have to get up to be able to do that? Isn't God's presence worth it? By the way, I find that if you don't make that time in the morning, you typically ain't going to have it. Well, my kids get up at 6. We'll get up at 5. There's a there's alarm clock has a 5 on it. Use it. Because I can tell you, it will change your day. I will tell you, at my dad's house, I created a makeshift office. My office is now in the garage. I can sharpen a chainsaw and troubleshoot AC equipment all at the same time. I can change your oil if I needed to and do work, right? When your garage is in the office, I mean, it's the world's your oyster. Have at it. All kinds of things you can do. I don't particularly like my office in a garage because I got ADD, I'm sure. 
And I look at others, oh, yeah, I forgot to do that. I'm just all over the place. But let me tell you something I love about being my dad's anymore. My dad's house is tucked up in the woods. By the way, when the cicadas were here, did not like it at all because it sounded like they were going to invade the entire place. It was crazy. My dad's, his property is, is surrounded by 90% woods. Woods all the way around, even in the front now, because the trees have all grown up, and there's this lane that goes through that section, so I live in the woods. And I go out there. Now, not, there are some mornings where I don't get out there as early as I like. But you know what I like? I like to get out there early in the mornings. And I don't know about you, but you know how I open my office door? I raise the garage door. Ain't no sense of keeping it closed because I don't have air conditioning. And so you know, my air conditioning is based on God. And I found this bow, by the way. You ever heard of how you cook a frog and keep him in the pot? You ever heard that story? If you take a frog and you put him in a pot of water, he'll stay in there if the water's not boiling. You don't take a frog and put him in boiling water, he's going to hop out. You know how to keep a frog and put the frog in the water? And then slowly turn the heat up. And he won't sense that you're trying to cook him. It's true. I'm the frog. I start off at 70 in the morning, and it makes its way up to 90. And if you're there, and it's 70 when you start, and it just gradually gets warm, you don't really notice it. I have people calling, it's 88 degrees in this house. I look on the thermostat. I do have a heater, by the way, and it's got a thermostat. I'm like, well, it's 90 in here. It don't feel too bad. Breeze comes up off the road, up the lane. But listen, I throw that garage door up in the morning, and I don't even turn the lights on in the garage. I just throw the garage door up and let God's light come in, and I can hear the birds chirping and sometimes I'll hear acorns and stuff drop or whatever it is they're dropping out of them trees where the squirrels are running around and I just get alone in God's presence in his nature and if I start my day out that way it goes much better because I, I not only talk to God but I find that it's I spend 25% of the time talking and the 75% of the time just being quiet and let him speak to me and that's what he's saying here, right? Consider all that God knows and then ask yourself this, why should I be the one doing the talking? Why should I be the one speaking when the God of the universe allows me to be in his presence? Why don't I just listen? Why don't you listen? Maybe you do. Maybe this is just for me. But I love how he... he he says this, don't be rash with your words. Listen, there are times I, I told a young, uh, uh, and thank God for, for Sister Mary, her and I got to go minister to a family this week. A, a young lady lost her husband suddenly, and, and listen, it, it suddenly I think just makes it worse when you didn't even know it was coming. And, and Mary was able to minister her to, like I couldn't because, you know, she lost her husband, and Mary knows what that feels like. But we were talking to her, and, you know, I will say this, we, we told her, and I told her not just to make her feel better because we truly believe it. You know, there are times where we are angry. We just don't understand why things are going the way they're going. And Ecclesiastes really brings this out if you read the whole book. We're like, it's okay. He's your heavenly father. It's okay when you're upset and you don't understand and you just need to vent. He's okay with that. He's our loving heavenly father. But we also do have to have this aspect in our mind where we realize that he is God. And that there are going to be things that he knows why that we don't. 
we can vent to him. We can tell him how we feel. We can tell him how broken our heart is. And listen, I believe he does nothing more than wrap his beautiful God arms around us. Say, let it out. You ever done that for your child? Does anybody ever have a child that's hurt for some reason? You put them up against your chest and you hold on to them real tight so they know that you love them and you say, just let it go. Just let them cry it out. And just hold them. I believe God does that for us. But Solomon's saying, listen, don't you get mad at God because things in this world go differently than what you want. Don't be rash. Be real. Don't be rash. And think of ourselves, why do we question him? However, he will share his wisdom with us if we listen. Think about what he told Job after all that Job had been through. It says this in chapter 38, in verse 1, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you and, make it know, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? You get the idea, right? God was saying, Joe, who are you, that, who are you to question me? You see, I don't think we go to God and say, why did you do this? I think we go, we go to God and we say, God, I know you're God. And I don't understand why you did this. I don't get it. But just remember he's God. I don't bring him down to my level and question him for why, but I do let him know. And I have, especially in these last few weeks. God, I don't understand your timing. I don't get it. I don't get how you could take one year and put so much stuff in it. I don't get it. But I don't go to him like he owes me an explanation. But I do tell him that I don't get it. And God, there's going to be times I got to go through stuff that I ain't going to get. But I know you're God. And when you can't take us out of the fire, then take us through the fire. With the kind of love and strength that only he could give. Because let me tell you something, in this world, you're going to go through the fire. Do you want to go through it alone? Do you really want to step out of God's presence and make him at your level like you get to, like you get to make him answer you? Why? By the way, verse 3 is very easy. I actually found the New Living Translation really explains this well. Verse 3 says, For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. The New Living Translation says this, Too much activity gives you restless dreams, and too many words makes you a fool. In other words, you can't do everything, so quit trying. And sometimes we open our mouth when we simply should listen. And then he goes on to verse in five, and I'm just going to give you a synopsis. Think about this. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Think about what he's saying here. 
right? We make many promises to God when we're in a crisis. Do we follow through? I remember one time getting in trouble. And, you know, swearing to my mom, I swear to you, I won't do it again. I swear to you, if you just give me this one chance, I'll never, if you just not, don't, don't put me on restriction. I got something I need to go to next week that I want to go with my friends. Please don't do it. I promise I'll never do it again. I just wanted out of trouble. Promising I'd never do it again. I probably did it again that day, knowing me. How many empty promises we made before God trying to get him to sway him to do something our way? God, I promise if you just give me this one thing, I swear to you, I'll never ask you for another thing. We know we ain't going to do that. We know we're not going to do it. How many promises have we made trying to relieve ourselves from guilt? God, I feel so awful. I promise you, I'm never going to do that again. He says it's better not to make a promise. And verse 6 says this, let your mouth not lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Think about that. Don't let your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger it was a mistake. In political words, you ever heard this word? I misspoke. You know what that means? I said something and it backfired. And now I'm trying to take my words back. You know what one dish I wish I could really eat, but I've never had the chance to eat it? Anybody ever want to eat their words? Take them back? Right? If you could eat your words and get them back so nobody heard them, think about that. You don't care what it tastes like. You'd be like a big old cow pie. Just. You remember your parents telling you, you're going to eat your words one day. It tastes nasty. Words do hurt. Our mouth leads us into sin sometimes when we make promises and we don't keep them because we've lied before Almighty God. By the way, when you tell somebody something and you don't do it, and I've done this, I, I've tried to curb myself. I, sometimes I have the best intentions in the world. You ever done that? I promise you I'll come by and look at that unit. I've done that. I can't tell you how many times it didn't slip my mind. And I forget, and I go back and apologize. You know what I tell people at this point? Listen, I, I want to, but there's a 50-50 chance I'll forget. Like, within an hour of telling you. Because I lead a crazy life. I got a lot of stuff going on. I might forget, but here's the deal. I want to, but you're going to have to stay on me. That's what I tell people. You got to stay on me. Because I don't want to lie. Because there's nothing worse than a preacher or a pastor telling you you're going to do something and you don't do it. And by the way, most people will not give you a second chance to go back and do that or call and remind you. I figured you probably forgot because you got a lot going on. No, that don't happen. They just know that a preacher lied to them. I've had that. That stinks. We didn't misspoke. A lot of times we have great intentions, right? But the Bible says in Proverbs 19, there are six things that the Lord hates. They are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. By the way, in John chapter 8, you know who Jesus said the father of lies is? Satan. And he says, and when you do this, you're acting like your dad. That's kind of tough, ain't it? 
Here's what I want you to remember today. Reverence God's house. Listening is just not hearing. It's doing. Another thing, speak less and listen more. Considering that we're made in God's image and not the other way around. You know what that means? He's God, I'm not. Me, the creation of God, would be better off to listen to my creator than for me to tell him how to do his job. God knows how to do his job. He don't need you to tell him. But he wants to talk to you. You ever wanted to talk to somebody, but they won't stop talking long enough for you to tell them something? You may ever had that? I see people looking at each other. Don't be pointing. Don't y'all be pointing at each other. I can't handle that. Because I'll start laughing, and then I'll say your name by accident, and then everybody knows. But y'all know what it's like. Somebody, well, you try to tell them something, but you're like, you know, finally, like, can you just stop a second? I got to tell you something. And then you forgot what you was going to tell them because you waited so long. Uh -huh, I think I'm a senior at this point. Here's another thing to remember. He's infinite. We aren't. His wisdom is the only wisdom there is. He has a full expanse of knowledge. We have a small bit. Don't make promises and not keep them. It's not good. Sometimes we think we're doing good by not keeping them. Y'all remember that? You tell your child, if you do that one more time, I'm going to, and then fill in the blank. If they do it one more time, keep your promise. You're better off to keep your promise so that they realize that what you say means something than to let them off the hook and become a liar. Think about that. Don't make promises. I can tell you this. If my mother promised you that she was going to whip me if I did it again, oh, listen, she put it on her calendar. I told him this on this date. And my mother had no, there was no expiration on that promise. If she heard that I did it again, you know, my mother literally did this one time. She had a, she had a, a piece of trim about this long, a piece of five-inch base trim. You know, that you put around them. Five inch, really kind of, just really good. It's a good, parents, it's good for, you know. She shook it at my face at the time. She says, Sonny Buck, that's what she called me. My mother never said my real name ever, except for when she was talking to the doctor's office. That's when she said, I'm Tom Hoffmaster II. Right? Never once did my mother ever call me Thomas. She didn't call me Tom. She didn't call me none. She called me Huff. And Sonny Buck. And when Sonny Buck was used, it was going down. Y'all know what I mean by going down? She shook his piece of trim. She goes, Sonny Buck, let me tell you something. You do that one more time, and I'm going to take this here piece of trim, and I'm going to make you regret it. Now, I didn't know how many times she was going to smack me with that board before I regretted it. But I know it only took once. But she made sure. She didn't just hit once. I wonder if he regrets it. Not yet. Uh-uh. She decided to make sure that not only would I not regret it, but I'll make sure that even my kids and my kids' kids didn't regret it. 
She gave me enough for at least three generations worth. I'm like, Mom, I regret it. I remember crying, I regret it, I regret it. Chasing me around in the living room in a circle. I regretted it. All promises, whether made to man or God or your children, all those promises are in God's presence. I had somebody that wanted me to marry them, uh, you know, do a wedding for them. And I'm like, uh, I asked them this question. I said, uh, because I didn't know them. They just saw our church. Figured this would be a good church to get married in. I said, so you guys go to church? Got a home church or anything? No, we, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't go to church. Okay, okay. Well, you should. Yeah, we know. So, well, why do you want to get married in a church? You know, if you don't go to church, that's a good question. Right? Why do you want to get married in church? This is the answer. Well, we want to, we want to get married before our family and, a, and in God's presence. I said, shoot, we could do this anywhere. What do you mean? We're always in his presence. David said, whether I descend into the lower parts of the earth or I ascend into the sky, you're there. That's what he said about God. Where can I hide from your presence? Nowhere. So I looked at them, I said, you ought to be more concerned about the fact that you're always in God's presence than wanting to be married in his house. Because whether it's here, outside a wedding, it doesn't matter. It's all done in his presence. So when you take a vow, whether you take it in this church or you take it outside this church, wherever you take a vow, you're vowing in the presence of Almighty God. So be careful. And in this world, we need people who will tell the truth and will follow through on all that we say so that they can see there are still some people out here that reverence God and reverence His presence. Would you stand?